20,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, Ph.D., an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today, you'll be hearing an interview Melody did while I was still in Portland. And Melody talked with Jennifer Prey, a Minneapolis-based dance artist and yoga teacher. She and Mel talked about how yoga, dance, and feminism all intersect. And that sounds really rad. And I actually still haven't heard it yet, so I'm very excited to hear it with all of you. How have you been, Melody? But oh, first, shit. Melody. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Give You give me a blank doc, and I'm useless. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I just turned into like I don't know. Some I've never heard you talk Jewish like that. New that was Yorker. amazing. <laughs> yeah, give uh, me a blank doc and look at me. I'm a mess. <laughs> um, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Funny you should ask. Uh, you can subscribe to us. Oh wait, shit! No, I messed up. Bow, bow, bow. You can find us in select places such as a podcast application device where you could search for us and subscribe. You should also go to iTunes and leave us a review. You can choose from zero to five stars. Perhaps you'd want to choose five. On the social media tip, you can follow us on the gram, the Twitter, and Facebook. You can like our Facebook page for episode updates or join our closed community page. Just search for Feminist Killjoys Community dash WTF Power exclamation point. On Spotify, an application I have, do you? You can find our mixtape, which is uh, all of our outro songs, the Feminist Killjoys mixtape. Wait, Feminist... Wow. Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape, curated by Rachel. Thank goodness it's not me. And if you have extra dollars and want to support feminist media makers, you can donate to our Patreon account. If you donate $5 a month or more, you will have access to our bonus episodes, which will branch out beyond The Bachelorette soon. And if you're just a one-time donation type of person, you can head over to our website, which is feministkilljoyspodcast.com, and leave a one-time donation. Just click on the birdie. And Sassy, my cat, wants to be fed. She would like you to know that you can email me and Rachel in 2005 using fkj.phd at gmail.com. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Melody. What is up with us today? Uh, well, I'm going to break the fourth wall for the listeners. We, we're recording in a smaller period of time than usual, so not a ton is different. Although we didn't talk a ton about Portland, so we could talk about that. I could also talk about what I'm about to do. Let me Wait, back let's up. talk about whether your nails are still intact. Uh, what do they look like? One is total two. Well, one got almost totally off because I was not that I was like picking at it or anything. And and then I was just like, well, let me just do that. So that's parallel on both hands. So I have two that are totally off the spikes. And by off, you mean the gold spikes. Yes. The gold spikes are gone. But I mean, two fingers that's are fair. actually all gone. You mean the paint, too? Yeah, because it was getting really chippy. And I was like, oh, I'm just no going to make it all go away. That's it's it's my, it's my fault. I mean, it's 100% me picking at it, like, oh. a, like, a, like a moron. Yeah. It's I didn't still, say that. Okay. I have to say, they still look really fucking cool. And as soon as I'm going to, like, paint the two fingers that are no longer intact in black, and it's still going to look yeah. great. Yeah. 
And now that the th- now that the 3D portion is gone, there's still gold pieces, just not the spikes. It's still going to look super fly for a long time. How about yours? I I can't believe that they're still like 100%. I mean, like my nails have grown, but the designs are still like there's nothing gone. Oh yeah, it's if I if I wasn't unreal. just being ridiculous and just like kind of picking at them, but I just I don't know why. Like, you know, cuz cuz it's basically the spikes started to get loose and then I would like pull at that and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of fun." Oh. So like Yeah, the most I do is like rub another finger over it. You know, yeah. to get like, because mine's really textured. Yeah. But even with my garden, I mean, I wear gloves, but even with doing dishes and, and gardening, they're just all, mine aren't 3D, but they're very detailed art and there's n- nothing gone. It's, I've ne- this is like wild. Yeah. And I went today, I, I somewhat asked because I went to a nail salon today where the Lion King was circle of life was playing. And I asked the lady if she could just like, cause I, I found like a similar pink glitter nail polish. And I was like, can you just paint my nail, like the bottom of my nail? So it still looks like pretty much all covered. And she was just like not having it. Cause I mm. guess that's like a, a big faux pas to yeah. her at least. So, yeah, yeah, that she, seems a little. Does it? Yeah. Do you know how many manicures I've ever gotten? Not many. I could, yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know the rules. Okay. Yeah. Learned one today. Yep. Don't ask a nail tech to do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, sorry, I interrupted you about our nail situation. <laughs> 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 what else have you been doing? How's how's all your side jobs? Uh, side By side jobs, I mean your actual jobs, but like your... Um, no, no. They're hustle, they're hustle jobs. Mini- There's like uh, mini jobs that combine into like a lot of work. How's yes, I had a major deadline yesterday for what is going to potentially turn into this PBS series that I've been kind of vague about. But I, I mean, I'll be less vague if it ends up all panning out. But I, I get paid no matter what, so it's fine. But that is the the bulk of that work for this first stage is done. So I felt really good about that. Teaching a lot of early yoga classes, which has been a little tough because I still feel like I'm a little bit jet lag. Um, I've been having trouble falling asleep and that usually is not the case with me. I'm usually a really good sleeper. So that's been kind of rough. But I really like made a conscious decision to just take it really, really easy this week because I just felt really, Portland was amazing, but very busy and traveling is really exhausting. And so I just, other than yoga and like working at coffee shops I'm not doing much this week which I love but then this weekend things are going to get get busy again uh well there's social things and very long work days at the yoga studio and some other social things so which is you know which is all good but that's kind of the week so still busy with work but relatively quiet and uh manageable what about you everything is fine nothing really to report the Maybe the more one exciting thing that's going on in my life is there's some neighborhood kids that I know pretty well and they really want to make a clubhouse. So we've been like hanging out and talking about what their clubhouse is going to look like. And I and uh, they asked Robert if they could if he could help build it with them. And so like they're going to make like a for real clubhouse out of wood. And they like gave me the measurements today. And so it's pretty cool. Although there's always uh, the kids come over enough in which like I have to like discipline them sometimes. So that's like a very weird role for me because usually when I do childcare, it's like I just I I will discipline in the moment, but then I will like tell the parents to like talk to them about the bigger issues, you know. Mm-hmm. But these kids are just over enough, and you know I don't have a relationship with the parents like I do when I do childcare, and so it's just uh, inter- it's an interesting role that I'm happy to take on. Just acknowledging it. I also have a busy weekend. Well, not really. I'm just taking along because my partner is officiating a wedding 
for one of his best friends in somewhere Minnesota. And so we are going to go to that somewhere in Minnesota. I'm not hiding the identity. I just can't remember that random <laughs> city. Uh, it took me like 30 years to know all the cities around Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so for me to know more than a few up here is asking a lot. So we're going to, so he's going to officiate a wedding. No big deal. We're going to see Tig Notaro, who's just by coincidence playing a show in that town as well. And, you know, I'm just going to be an introvert at a wedding. It'll be just fine. No, it'll be, it'll be good. Yeah. I'm his sure. parent, Robert's parents will be there. So I'll know. Oh, okay. Two That's people. Good. That's good. Our politics don't match up, but that's okay. Mm, right, that's right. We'll just talk about how that. good the food is and right. the weather. Yeah, I could see having mixed feelings about being there. I'll be in that situation. Well, mm, maybe not. I- I'll be... No, I probably won't be in that situation, but... The things you do for love. Yeah. things you do for love. <laughs> do you remember that song? Was that like uh, Amy Grant or something? I do. I don't I don't remember who it was, but I do remember that song. You pay the price, the things we do for love. The things we do for love. Before we move on to the interview, I forgot that I promised friend of the podcast, Lacey Davis, who we talk about all the time, who we just saw in Portland. Uh, I promised her that I would plug heavy weightlifting via the following comment, that it is very sexy. That I heavy, like, I'm sorry, heavy weightlifting is very sexy. That's what you're plugging? Yes. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure. That's totally fine. It's just like I could not believe how fucking sexy it felt to like... The way you step underneath the bar in order to, like, get underneath the bar, and anybody who listens who's done this, like, knows exactly what I'm talking about. So you, like, you have your hands on the bar, and then you have to, like, duck your head under, and your legs are kind of staggered, and your, like, ass is kind of out, and then, like, your chest just gets really proud because you're holding onto the bar. It's, like, I just, like, that movement of, like, staggered legs, stepping under the bar, lifting your chest just felt like really fucking like erotic in a way that I was like not prepared for and I told that to Lacey and she was like please say that on your podcast I'm not prepared for this conversation right now (laughs) I uh, sorry it it, no it's fine (laughs) I was like I thought you were just gonna promote Liberation Barbell or her new book that's coming out or something and I I was like we'll also promote those things when they happen in a few months but no I was just promoting the act of lifting heavy weights because it is sexy and maybe it would entice you to want to do it. You, the general you, our listeners. It was fun. It was really fucking fun. I think it's also extra fun when a fellow WTF is teaching the course as well. Oh, totally. Okay, we've been yammering for quite some time. I would love to hear this interview with Jen. Will you take us there? I will. Before I do, let me just give you her bio. So I know Jen, well, you'll hear more about how I know her, but uh, she is my, she was my yoga instructor at Your Yoga. Who, uh, it's a studio that David owns. You uh, listeners might remember my interview with David. He was the guy who sounded Australian, but is English many months ago, it seemed, I guess now. Um, so anyways, they're connected, but moving on. Jen is not only a yoga instructor, but she's also a dancer, um, a dance artist. She's a choreographer. And so I wanted to talk to her about how yoga, dance, and uh, her feminism, her version of feminism, her definition of feminism intersect, especially because yoga and dance have some pretty problematic issues. I don't know what you would call them, but women have struggled in both dance and yoga in terms of like body presentation and, and body empowerment. So lots for us to talk about there. But more about Jen, she has performed and presented her work in the in the U.S. and internationally, and 
in addition to her dance career, Jen has been teaching yoga since 2010, and she teaches at Your Yoga, like I mentioned, in Minneapolis. And she says that she is very passionate about creating spaces for people to connect to a more embodied, enlivened existence. And that is true. She really wants people to be very comfortable with their bodies and with each other. So with that, I will take us away to my conversation with Jen. Hi, Jen. Hey, Melody. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? This is strange for us. It is. We usually have a more informal hangout. Although I feel like you and I have an interesting relationship because usually you're like poking at my body. Yes, this in is very true. intimate ways, <laughs> non-sexual intimate ways. So this I guess true. this is fine too. This is normal exactly. for us. We have. But I'm excited that you're on the show. Yeah, I'm really excited to be on the show. Okay, so we just magically gave your bio to to all the listeners, so they already heard that. Great. But the one thing that we, you and I should do right now is just do pronoun go around. So Rachel is she, her. I'm she, her. And what pronouns do you use? She, her. Excellent. We wanted to have you on the show because you are both a dancer and a yoga teacher and a yogi. Yeah. And uh, as you and I have been talking in our friendship, we've been kind of talking about how feminism kind of wraps itself into those venues. And Mm -hmm. as a former dancer myself and as a yoga student right now, there is a lot of like messiness with feminism and dance and yoga. So I'm just like really interested to force you to sit down on the floor with pillows and like talk to me about it yeah. <laughs> exclusively <laughs> exactly. for a while. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I guess first off, dancing came into your life before yoga, correct? Yeah, that's right. I just have a very open-ended question because I don't actually know the answer to this. Your story of being a dancer and just kind of take us through that. Great. Yeah, there's kind of a lot. I, I started dancing when I was 10. I never did sports growing up and it got to the point that I had so much energy as a kid running around the house that I was kind of driving my mom insane. So she uh, decided that, you know, I needed some sort of outlet for all my physical energy and uh, gave me the option to choose what I wanted to do. And I chose to enroll in a dance class. I actually really hated it at first because I was, quote, late as a 10 year old to start dance, um, which is kind of sad. And a bunch of the kids already knew what was going on and I didn't. But over the course of that first year, Things started to click for me and it started to feel more exciting and more engaging. And then I've always approached my dance training with this eye towards I'll stick with this for as long as it's feeding me and I'll see where it takes me. You know, even as a pre-professional training in these programs all around the United States, there's always the question, do you want to be a professional dancer? And I said, well, I would love that, but that's I'm also pretty realistic and I know how competitive it is competitive it is to make it as a professional dancer. Yeah, I was really intensely training mostly in ballet growing up in high school. And then I went to the University of Iowa, where I had the opportunity to study improvisation, modern dance, choreography, really expand my understanding of dance and seeing where it could take me. And it was in that um, that I made a commitment to myself to graduate from college and again, see what the next steps would be. Um, That led me to Minneapolis. I got a contract with a modern dance company here, danced for a ballet company for a couple years, and then the same modern dance company for another couple years. And now I'm transitioned into being a freelance performer and a creator. So I make work and present my own work uh, throughout, actually all over, internationally even. So that's my dance story in a nutshell. That's a great story. (laughs) I would have a lot of follow-up questions to that, but 
Did you ever get wrapped up in competitive dance when you were in high school? No, I actually never competed. Uh, The school I trained at was kind of unique. It was in central Iowa, where I'm from. And we just did, we didn't do recitals and we didn't do competitions. It was just training. We'd do, we had a performance company that would do tours and performed in a lot of like elder care homes and churches and you know, so I was still performing a lot, but it was always with this eye towards learning classical repertory and learning new work and working with different choreographers uh, in a way that would set me up for a professional career uh, in a more sustainable way than just having a competition ba- dance background would. Cool. I was just asking because in my personal life, I stopped doing dance when it started to get competitive in high school because that whole scene is just a racket for girls. Yeah, it's really interesting. And now as a teacher of dance. I'm um, very I love the studio I teach at. I chose because it's not competitive, but I do coach um, some kids independently who do competitive dance and I'm always working with them to find how do we make it not about the moment of competition, but about the process of training and hmm. you know, making it about what can you learn and grow and saying like it doesn't actually matter whether you this piece is seen by a judge or not because it's more about what you're learning along the way. So I try to take that perspective into even that environment when I do occasionally go into it. And you work with both boys and girls, right? Yeah, that's what, correct. What's it like working with the boys? I really I really like working with young boys. Their energy, I like their just kind of like I at least the young boys that I get to work with um, tend to be kind of like quirky and fun. And I like to encourage them to express themselves because I think, you know, young boys are given so many messages about what it means to express yourself. And being a dancer when you're a 12 year old boy can be really hard. And so I make sure that I teach in a way that's accessible to them and doesn't, it's not all like glitter and princesses and fluff. Um, And it's really about like, you know, power and jumps and moving really big. And I, I actually, that's the way that I teach girls as well on uh, the same way. Like, it's not about being a, you know, fairy princess. It's about like, how do you feel strong in your body um, and move really big and feel powerful. And take up lots of space. Yeah, take up lots of space. So we're going to circle back to the, the the dance world in a moment. But you're also simultaneously a yogi and a yoga teacher. So can you give us a little bit of story about how you came into yoga? And then we'll mesh the two together. Great. Well, interestingly, my earliest experiences in yoga are intimately tied to dance. Mm. Um, my first time really developing a personal yoga practice was I was living in New York for a summer working for the Joffrey Ballet School and dancing a lot. And I was getting a lot of pressure in my training at the time to look a certain way, be a certain way. And I found Yoga to the People, which is actually the studio that (gasps) Megan and David in New York. Yeah. So it's like it's full circle. And I'm actually 90% positive that I took David's class back in 2009. Because I remember this class. I'm like, yeah, I just remember like this dark haired guy. I thought he was Australian. And I was like, that had to be that had to be David. And I'm we're pretty sure in talking about it. He's like, yeah, I was definitely teaching at that studio that summer. And that was before how many years later? probably five years later that I met David formally and David and Megan both and then started teaching at the studio. So it's a, it's a very, it's the collision of worlds is really interesting. So that summer yoga became a way for me to connect my body in a way that felt really healing for the first time. Because when you're, especially at the time I was doing a lot of classical ballet, when you're training as a ca- classical ballet dancer, it's all about what you look like. It's very visually oriented. It's about form. It's about, you know, being in a certain place on a, 
at a certain time, you know, musically and everything. And yoga became this space for me to connect my body in a way that felt vastly different from that. And then I went on back to college and got my certification and started teaching shortly after that and continued to develop my practice. And I actually came up on my seven-year teaching anniversary already, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, and so then my yoga journey... I when I moved up to Minneapolis, I was dancing with a ballet company and was starting to feel that same kind of pressure and intensity and competitive nature of that of the career. And that's when I found your yoga and I started practicing there almost every day. And I like to say that I was there so much that they basically had to hire me because I was like just like there all the time. And it since then I've been it's about almost almost four years teaching at your yoga, and that's been a really fulfilling part of my life, connecting me to amazing people. It's how I know melody, and just creating the sense of belonging and community in my life and and in the lives of others as well. I feel like your yoga is a really special studio that. I'm not getting paid by your yoga to say that by any means, but there's something about it that really resonates with people who, I like how you said, like trying to get more in touch with your body and the teaching style like that David does is very accessible and very laid back. So then you don't feel this competitive nature that other yoga studios put out there. And I feel like they've done such a good job of fostering community and it takes a lot of effort to do Mm -hmm. that yeah some people are just thinking that community just naturally comes together but there's actually work that you have to do it's a lot and and I've what I've learned over the years is that community can be created and consciously created Uh, when I first moved here I remember feeling I didn't know hardly anybody and I was feeling really disconnected I was thinking how I know these people are out there like I know Minneapolis is a cool place but I'm not meeting them thinking I would find a community and then you know, I, I did find your yoga, but I became a part of the creation of a community, which was really empowering. And I continue to be a part of that. I mean, conscious about who am I spending time with? How do I make people feel um, heard and uplifted and s- supported and connected? So yeah, it is. But it is. It's work. And it's constant work. So this podcast is called Feminist Killjoys. PhD, you might know that. We're going to throw the F word into all of this. So with your dance and your yoga not your yoga, the studio, but your yoga practice and teaching, how does feminism interact with those? And before, maybe before I ask you that, let me step back. Because there are many, as we've talked about on the show many times, like there's a lot of different brands of feminism Mm -hmm. and a bunch of different ways to define feminism. So when you say you're a feminist, like what does that mean to you specifically? Yeah, that's a really good question. The best thing that I can think of is empowerment, And it's not only empowerment of women or people who identify as women. It's about empowerment of all and finding opportunities for people to be self-expressed. So you one time wore a shirt to your yoga that said, what did it say? The feminist shirt you have? Oh, yeah. Feminism is the radical notion that women are people. Okay, so why did you make that conscious choice to wear that at the studio? Because it's not like an overtly political studio. Correct. Right. So like what what message were you trying to send with that? What what were you hoping people gain from knowing that you identify as a feminist in a yoga studio? You know, often the yoga world is in the contemporary sense, like in nowadays, it's seen as a mostly female dominated space. And even though a space is female dominated doesn't mean that it's necessarily a space where it's about female empowerment. I make a conscious choice in my teaching to Yes, it's very much a, I come from a feminist 
perspective without it being like, here's your feminist yoga class. And I think that shirt is like in res- in response to the, everything that's going on politically. And it was one way for me to express through wearing that so that in, in a way, the words that I'm saying are coming from this place of like, this isn't just about, this yoga practice isn't about what you look like. It's not about what kind of clothes you're wearing uh, or how fancy you feel or how expensive your mat is. It's about this simple idea that you're here to understand yourself more fully, to express yourself, whether that's physically or just by coming into a sense of peace with your own body. That's a whole other topic, actually. The the body image and idea are the relationships with our bodies um, that we can get into. I mean, body image is totally tied to yoga and dance. Dance, like, probably, well... Dance explicitly in the United States, but also with yoga, it's become the Western idea of yoga has become very body oriented. Like I was just at a hot yoga class in Portland and like people were wearing basically like underwear. And so their bodies were on full display and they all had like beach bods, Mm -hmm. you know, and then so then people who don't have beach bods are it's hard not to start comparing yourself. Yeah. You know, and so you're clearly not subscribing to that style of body image, both in dance and yoga, which is a hard thing to fight against because it's so pervasive. Yeah. Yeah, this is so there's a lot to unpack here. I'm of the mindset that being embodied, meaning connecting to your own body, understanding your own body and loving not in a cheesy way, or as you know, giving face to loving, but like actually legitimately knowing and understanding your own body. I actually think that that is a radical act. Because we the messages that we're given about our bodies are so often from a place of self-criticism a place of you're not good enough and you need to look a certain way act a certain way present yourself a certain way so that when you spend an hour actually understanding your body for something that is amazing and powerful and can feel strong and can feel sensations, whether the sensations are like, oh my God, I didn't even know I had muscles that could do that. That is an empowering act. And that does go kind of run counter to the messages that we're constantly fed about how to how to be and, and look. Another thing along that same line is with this idea that of self-criticism about your body, is the idea that the body and your mind are completely separate entities. And the more that I practice yoga, the more I find that the two are either inextricably linked or they are the same. And so when we separate out, like in the kind of messaging that we're given of you need to basically beat your body into submission because it's something other than you, because it is something that can be and should be changed, it is a sense, it's actually a kind of self-degrading perspective. Uh, on the other hand, when you can come into this more holistic approach of if I can love my body as it is fully, then you're actually you're fighting that kind of separation and you're able to come into this more empowered space because then you're entering the world with your full being, the fullness of your being. When you were talking, it reminded me about some mental health stuff, too. And we we talk about this on the podcast a lot, mental health, but kind of how... I've personally talked about how anxiety is both in the mind and the body, you know, and so I've been learning to pay more attention to how my body's reacting to things. And so if my throat's feeling closed up or my chest is feeling heavy, that it's directly linked to what's ever going on in my brain. And I think because we've been taught 
in this culture, I think that like mind and body are so different that we just learn not to pay attention to that stuff. And what's amazing is with yoga or dance, same thing, like there's, I'm thinking about like doing plies and like the beginning, you know, your warm ups and stuff, like how relaxing that can be. But specifically in yoga, if you get into like child's pose or downward dog, your brain just kind of mellows out, you know, like it's totally linked and it's from the repetitive nature of getting into that pose, breathing deeply, and then almost like magic, if you need to like calm down, if you need to calm your body down, you go into those positions and almost magically you calm down, right? Yeah. So I think not only body image, but also it really helps with mental health to teach you how to pay attention to both. Absolutely. Mind and body. Yeah, absolutely. You, Yeah, exactly. With this idea that your body is separate from the rest of you, it is, it's easy to think, oh, well, you know, I only experience something either physically or I only experience something mentally. And I Mm -hmm. think we've all been in the place where we get really stressed out and then we get sick. And it's kind of like, oh, our body is not separate from our mind. Like the stress that's happening intellectually and and within, you know, our kind of headspace is translating and is related to what's happening in our bodies. I think a really empowering part of having a yoga practice or any kind of, it doesn't need to be yoga, any kind of embodied practice is that sometimes your body will start telling you things before you are consciously aware of them. I've started, you know, I'll find like, oh, why do I have, I used to have anxiety, like stomach aches growing up. And I realized when I got to be older and started practicing yoga, I was like, oh, that wasn't necessarily food allergies, although I don't know that I was eating like really healthy food as a kid. That was likely my body's way of telling me like, you're stressed out and you're not dealing with it. And so now when I start to feel those things happening, I'm I'm in a place where I can listen to it and let that inform, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not taking enough time for myself. I need to, you know, create some space or just take some deep breaths or take care of myself in a more conscious way. So there's, yeah, this idea of being holistic and that just the connections that can come between between the two with, with any kind of embodied practice is really empowering. When you were talking about how your yoga teaching is feminist, but kind of in a Mr. Rogers way, he's a Christian, but you don't realize that he's kind of teaching mm. like his Christianity through the show, right? It's very subtle. Yeah. Can you give an example of how that works out in your yoga teachings? My classes and really something that your yoga teachers we really work on is having larger themes that are present in our classes. For example, one theme that I have been developing is this idea of freedom from restriction and self-expression that goes along with that. And it starts with identifying perhaps where have you where do you feel restricted? And some people in a yoga practice that can feel the entry point can be physical. Like, oh, I, you know, I carry around this idea that I have tight hips. And so that means something to me. But if you are able to kind of piece that apart, you know, move it beyond just a physical sensation and and go into spaces where, well, where was a time that you felt um, like you weren't able to express yourself fully? What did that feel like? And then at the same time, kind of presenting that kind of priming a little bit, then presenting an alternative perspective of, where where do you feel expressed in your in your life where what are spaces that are allow you to feel really self-expressed playing with this idea of of taking and sometimes that manifests itself physically in class like oh we're going to do handstands and you're all going to feel terrified because you're going upside down but how can that fear that you're approaching in this kind of laboratory setting of a yoga practice teach you about how you might be 
facing challenges outside. So, you know, if you're a person who looks at something that seems hard and says, nope, I'm not even going to try. Maybe you're someone who's like, I'm going to ace it. I'm going to totally do it. Totally right. There's just so many different approaches. And I think the thing that a yoga practice provides is just the space to recognize what your patterns are. And so with something like um, self-expression or self-empowerment, it's, you know, I could be teaching that to a class of, of all genders. It doesn't matter that it's not just for like women in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a, it's, you know, it's, it really goes into this, like it's everybody that can be experiencing this. With that in mind too, I was, I had the opportunity to collaborate or work with Megan, uh, Megan Dahl, who's just starting out the Shakti project. And we had a, our first workshop that was offered and it was all about that. It was about self-expression, places that you f- might feel restricted, places that you can feel self-expressed. And it was more of a dialogue um, opportunity to speak in a really supportive and safe environment. And then do a practice that was based on like experiment play you know take risks what does that feel like how does that how does that resonate for you I think playing in yoga is like really hard to train people to do because it's always like follow the teacher and like have the right alignment what do you mean I can just twirl in a circle if I want to because I remember a couple years ago you did that creative play yeah. workshop mm-hmm. in the old uh, dinky town space that was destroyed by gentrification thank you very much <laughs> University of Minnesota that's my personal opinion not your yogas that's no, my that's my own. <laughs> Um, but I remember that it was just an open space to just kind of do whatever and kind of challenges you as a yoga student to not always follow directions and just yeah. kind of do what you need to do. Absolutely. Yeah. I like to provide that space in all of my classes and the workshop that you brought up, I call Leela, which is the Sanskrit word for divine play. So it's this creative play. And that workshop was really this kind of merging of my interests in dance and especially in improvisation and dance, finding your own sense of movement and giving people the tools to access that coming from a yogic lens. So it was a really neat opportunity and something I've actually offered since then as well. And I am able to I actually lead that session for every teacher training program that we do. So we have three teacher training programs throughout the year and every teacher training I offer a whole afternoon of creative movement exploration and you know for those coming from a dance background it often does look a lot like an improv dance guided improv dance jam but it's it's framed in a way that people coming from a yogic setting aren't immediately terrified by the word dance or some of them really like that but it's it's framed in this like okay we're going to explore what our body's capable of doing and come up with some imagery that helps people feel really free and it's it's amazing to sit back sometimes and you know I have the privilege to watch because I'm guiding it just see like people butting up against like fear and like oh my gosh I look stupid like this is embarrassing and then overcoming that and coming into like they're just like running around and jumping and flying their wings around like yes this is what we're all capable of doing but we've just been socialized to be kind of rigid robots like walking from one thing to the next and driving and sitting and it's like we can like roll around in the grass outside and do cartwheels and like there's nothing there's actually nothing holding us back just ourselves just that fear so that's definitely a space in terms of that sense of embodiment that that my ideas it's like a full circle it all kind of wraps up in that I hope that my whole life is an improv dance jam that sounds really awesome is that things that like dancers do 
Yeah. What is an improv dance jam and how may I join one? Great. So <laughs> I would love like... to educate you about that. Um, most cities that have a dance scene are going to have an improvisational, like an improv dance community. Mm-hmm. And in Minneapolis, you can look it up on Facebook. I think it's called Minneapolis Improvisation, Contact Improvisation Minneapolis or something. And there's often dance centers will offer, uh, offer classes where you can get some guidance, which is also really helpful. And then if you're wanting to do contact improv, kind of the the basis of a contact improv jam is there's usually one person who's providing some structure and then provides some like a warm up so that people can get used to touching each other. But it's amazing. I've been, you know, I've with improv jams, you, you walk into the space and within the first like 10 minutes, you're rolling on top of total strangers. And it's so it's so great because the way that it's set up is a space where you experiment with trust and you experiment with like, how do I f- feel safe and how do I communicate if I don't and you can go in and out of it you can observe you can lay on the floor the whole time I think it's an extremely like empowering and radical thing to do yeah Monday nights in Minneapolis there's contact improv most night most Monday nights do you need to have professional dance experience no Oh, yes. Yeah, all the better. It's open to anybody, um, anyone who wants to come and experience, like, experience it, go through it, you know, take a class, and then you can, yeah, jump right in your first time. And, it, you know, it's a great mix of people because that you will be next to, like, phenomenal professional dancers, and then you'll be next to, like, someone who's done some yoga and maybe someone who's their first time ever doing an improv dance jam. And there's enough sensitivity, especially among the people who may have been part of that community for a while to recognize like, oh, when is this person who's new feeling supported and how can I help them feel comfortable and what are they, what are their kind of boundaries or limits physically that we can play with? So it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's one of those kind of spaces that you walk into. It's like a time warp and you kind of like go into this other world for a while and then you leave and you're like, wow the world is actually a decent place. <laughs> Amazing people exist. And here we are. That sounds yeah. really fun. Okay, well, my Monday nights are now taken up for a while. I just had a few questions left for you. Great. One was, what would your ideal dance or yoga and or you can choose one or say both the culture look like? So we already kind of talked about the problems with it and some ways that you are trying to change it. But if we could start over from scratch mm. or just build the dance and yoga world ourselves, what would that culture look like? Uh, I love this question. I'm going to start with the dance world. And there's a lot of overlap, actually, with the yoga world. So the dance world as it is has its roots in ballet, which is an, an extremely hierarchical system set up mostly for the viewership of wealthy men. And there are values that were put into place because of that and expectations on the female body and and form and everything. And I feel like the professional dance world is a lot. There's a lot of companies, a lot of creators who are really pushing back against that. I mean, essentially modern dance in itself, improvisation is that kind of pushback to the roots of ballet. But I would like to if, if I were to rewrite the books, I think that the influence of that very uh, kind of structured, rigid setup would be a little bit less in the qualification of what is good in dance and what is not good in dance. And that, I think, would trickle down to there's a, there's so much inequality in leadership in the dance world. Most companies are directed by men. Most choreographers who are making all the big commissions and brought in by the companies and making a lot of money from choreography are men. 
And most of the dancers are women. And so that's one of my things that continually gets me. I go to, you know, amazing curated shows at different theaters that are either most of the time, like, so bringing in companies from outside of the Twin Cities. And I take a look at their program and all of the choreography is done by men. Maybe they have one female choreographer. And I see locally actually a lot more happening to combat that. A year ago, I was a part of a choreography kind of incubation that was specifically geared towards women and people of color and trying to empower choreographers. And I got to set a work on a company called Threads Dance Project. And that was an amazing experience. And so there is a lot locally happening. And I want to keep seeing those opportunities open up just to make many different voices being heard as choreographers and as creators. Um, And not just the voices of, like, the privileged men who get to make work and get to... I mean, being a choreographer, your your voice in the dance world is really the loudest, I think, as a choreographer. Because it's you're you're creating the vision and the structure of of a work. And then the dancers show up to it and and bring their own life to it. That's one of the reasons that I am really drawn to choreography is the opportunity for my voice to be magnified. Have power. So, does yoga have the same problem of of roots in white male dominance in in the West? Yeah, the the roots of yoga. It, I mean, it, ultimately, it, it you know the history of it starting like way back in India. Most of the old texts about the poses are for men. Um, we were just having a conversation, the teacher training about there's some like specific uh, like if you're familiar like mula banda like this idea like this deep lock in the pelvis and the old texts only mention it for like male anatomy <laughs> and all the women in the room were like well what do we do <laughs> i was like how do we gotta talk about it that's a, another whole nother podcast episode um but uh but it was it was this recognition that like yeah the roots are definitely in it's definitely male dominant dominated and in the west there have been some amazing women who've worked with you know early on like right as soon as yoga was kind of being translated or transferred over to the west there were some pretty incredible women who were making making waves in that way i think it's not quite as quite as steeped in the rigidity or the patriarchal lens as the dance world but even as i say that i'm i'm questioning whether that i think you could write a whole master's thesis about that <laughs> question but they're both definitely influenced by that. Some of the critiques of the West yoga world is who owns the studios and who owns the yoga clothing companies, and those often are men. Yeah, absolutely. If you look, that's so true. Like Studio owners are predominantly male, and that's the, the larger positions of leadership is in studio ownership, even though most of the teachers are female. What's happening that that is happening, basically, is kind of a question. Right, because to throw in another industry the hair salon world, it's the same issue. And I don't know what kind of patriarchal dominance this is, but it's industries that are dominated by women talent still somehow end up with male owners, you know? And that's, I think, why it's so inferior. It's like extra infuriating is women dominate salon work, you know, hair Mm -hmm. stuff, yoga and dance, right? Mm -hmm. They're the stars. We just dominate the spheres. And there are more women doing those things. Yeah, Yeah. And it's great. Yet still somehow men find a way mm-hmm. to own it all. Yeah. That's so frustrating. <laughs> it's just like, why? How? You have to get involved in everything. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Give us something. Like, go yeah. away. That's well, all. <laughs> and I, th- I think, you know, exactly. I think it's, it's power and money. Because you think about a director of a dance company is making quite a, a lot more, usually, than the dancers. And there's more kind of notoriety in it 
and so therefore more power and i mean yeah you see that in in even like women's sports with coaches being oh, predominantly don't get men. Me like, oh my God. <laughs> it's so true though. <laughs> yes. It's like, what? <laughs> so I, I think, and then it circles back to then why I think the work that I do is important as a teacher is sometimes even just modeling for, especially my younger students um, in dance. You can not only be a dancer, but you can be a creator and you can be a teacher. The studio, dance studio I work at is owned by a woman. Um, and so opening up the, their eyes to like leadership potential within the field and not just saying this stops at the point in which your body is deemed, you know, such and such so that you can be a professional performer. And then two for myself, let allowing myself to dream big enough and say, well, yeah, what if I do want to direct a company or really, like, you know, have leadership roles? I should not feel held back by that or in that quest. I shouldn't feel held back in that. Can you just share with our listeners stuff that you're currently working on? Yeah, for sure. I'm really excited. I've been spending the summer working on a piece for the Minnesota Fringe Festival, and that's performing in August. Can you just explain what the Fringe Festival is to people outside of Minneapolis? Absolutely. It's an 11-day theater festival, and there's hundreds of uh, performance uh, performances and companies that present work. It's the largest non-juried festival actually in the world, I believe, or maybe the first. No, I don't know my stats. But for 11 days, basically, most of Minneapolis theaters are kind of turned into this show after show after show. So I'm working with a company called Loom Lab uh, under the direction of Mariah Larkin and Tori Edal. And it's an all-female cast. And we're working with the idea of living with mental illness. And the character I'm playing, the kind of central protagonist, whose name is Persephone, loosely based on the kind of myth with Persephone going down into Hades, having some trauma and like coming back out, if you're familiar with the Greek myth or not, doesn't make a big difference because we don't actually reference it all that much in the piece. (laughs) Um, But some people might like geek out and think that's really cool. And I'm really enjoying that kind of fresh take on like living with mental illness in a way that is is not boohoo, sad, so terrible, but actually really bringing some nice perspective perspectives to it. So that's what I'm doing kind of collaboratively. I'm not directing that. I'm actually just as a performer, which is pretty cool. And then I'm doing some solo work. I have a a piece I'm doing at the end of July focused on identity and kind of layers of presentation, working with a visual artist on kind of a pop-up art gallery event, which should be really cool. So that that one I'm still uh, kind of hashing out what that's going to look like, but presenting work in kind of non-traditional spaces. That's kind of my thing. So we do have some listeners here in Minneapolis and St. Paul. So if people are local and listening, how can they find out about these performances if they want to check you out? Probably the easiest way is to go to my website, which is jenniferpray.com. And I have a link that will be up there um, on upcoming work. And you can just see a list of kind of my calendar of events. Um, otherwise, you can also look up Loom Lab on uh, the Minnesota Fringe Festival or Tori Eat All Dances is what our kind of company name is entered as. And then Gallery 3 is the other is is the one other one I mentioned. And that all the information about that will be on my website. Cool. It's neat. You have a website. Yeah. Okay, anything else you wanted to share with people that I didn't get to that you wanted to share that's in your heart or brain that are connected as one? I'm finding that my feminism can be most most fully expressed through my choreography. And I'm actually beginning to make work that is even more explicitly feminist than I ever have before. I'm doing some research on ideas about 
the messaging that women have been told about their bodies, about female sexuality, and all the messaging around that, power dynamics um, in the world. And I'm excited to see kind of where this where this can take me because it's it's been I feel like everything is kind of converging over the last year or so and kind of having like my ideals and my activism coming out using my the medium of my art which is which is really exciting cool thank you for sharing that that's great yeah yay this is (laughs) great thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us So Jen has very nicely agreed to do RWL kind of on the spot. I just (laughs) launched it at her. I was like, hey, you know how we do RWL? You want to do it? So I will go first. I am reading an article about, let me just get the official title. New study looks at the attitudes of drivers towards cyclists, and it ain't pretty. And so this is a, a colleague of mine, Tara Goddard. She's in like my bike advocacy scholarship world. But she does this awesome work where she looks at implicit bias and how it impacts drivers and cyclists. Oh, wow. And the ain't pretty part is how drivers don't give as much space to certain people. Wow. And you might want to guess who people of color. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's also been some studies in the past that look at if you have a helmet on that drivers give you less space because you're being, you know, you're self-protecting. Yeah. But that implicit bias also impacts drivers. Wow. In their interactions with cyclists, which is really important in terms of like safety on the streets and education. And basically, oftentimes with safety, it's our responsibility. So Jen is a cyclist, too, I should mention. You know, it's often our responsibility to stay safe to like, you know, people say bike safe. So it's our responsibility to watch out for dangerous drivers and avoid distracted drivers. And there's not often a lot of focus on drivers and how they react to certain cyclists. So Mm -hmm. I'll definitely make sure that this article gets linked in in our FKJ world. But if you just Google Tara Goddard and cyclist implicit bias or driver implicit bias, it'll pop up. So that just kind of came out. She was working on her PhD. So I was reading about that. I'm watching the People versus OJ Simpson on Netflix. It's the one that isn't the real life documentary, but it's a recreation. And how old are you? 27. Oh, you're so young. I forget. (laughs) You're so mature. I feel like you're... I forget that. Um, Yeah, I'm an old soul. (laughs) You are. You totally are. That's so funny. Didn't mean to out you like that. That's Um, good. It's totally fine. So how old were you when the OJ Simpson trial went down? When was it? Exactly. Okay. So I don't think I was was too young to remember. I was in like fourth or fifth grade. So that means you were a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So I have very foggy memories because it was just on the news. And actually, my class during lunch, we got to watch the verdict being read. Oh, wow. It was really intense. I just learned stuff about pre-trial OJ Simpson that I didn't know. He was really struggling with his mental health. Uh. And they like show that in the... So it's just interesting looking back on how much I didn't know about it being a young kid and... But also how much the news exposed people to. Yeah. Anyways, but Marsha, the prosecutor, Marsha Clark... She was often painted in the media as like a B-I-T-C-H, but she's like a strong feminist that had no tolerance for domestic violence at all. And she was like such a strong fighter in that in the trial. And I had no idea. So I'm just like learning all this cool stuff. Anyway, so I'm watching that. And then I'm listening to, do you know the group Haim? Ham? Haim? No. H-A-I-M? No, I don't think I do. Poppy, folk, country, 
three-part harmony cool women fun yeah it's just really like it's like pop music that doesn't require a lot of brain energy but also isn't just crap it's well thought out music so it's just like cool fun summer jams that sounds great so they have a really cool music video that my friend showed me where you would actually love it. It's dance related. Oh, sweet. They're walking down the street. It's one shot. Uh-huh. And they kind of add choreography. And then, like, the choreography adds to itself. And there's some improv stuff. You will yes, you my really way. need that to, like, watch awesome. it. And then, had I known this, I would have, like, made you analyze it with me. Oh, yeah. It's cool. Check it out. Okay. Sweet. I'm done. All right. So, my RWLs. Reading, I just finished Americana by... Chimanda Ngozi Odichie. So I just finished reading Americana. That was fascinating. I'm actually part of a feminist book club, which is really cool. And that was our latest book. Our next one, which I am planning to crack open this evening, is The Notorious RBG about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So yeah, I'm really excited for that. There is at least one lawyer in our group and she's like, I'm just going to geek out so hard when I, for this one. So looking forward to that. And then watching, I've really not been on my watching game recently. It's, I've been... Uh, doing a lot of kind of creative work and research, but I occasionally am watching Master of None, kind of the second season, which I really enjoy because it's light and fun. And yeah, good. Master of None is uh, FKJ favorite. Around yeah, here, so. yeah, yes. I, and I kind of knew that because I yeah. heard you guys say that before. So join the club, yay! <laughs> um, listening just this morning, I was listening to Revisionist History, which I'm really enjoying. Just the different perspectives. Shout out to local musician here, dancer, vocalist V Boem. She has a new single out, and I got to hear her live a little bit ago. And she, her music is awesome. It's on Spotify. It's V V I E, and then Bohem Bohem like kind of the bohemian life really like her work uh she's a pretty kick-ass lady so yeah that's me yay thank Uh you all right thanks for doing that do you want to sign us off it's like wtf power Power. you know how we always do that yeah yeah yeah. okay until next time wtf power (laughs) 